Welcome to Pop to the Lou, where we share hilarious, embarrassing, heartbreaking, and inspiring stories of living life with IBD. This is purely for entertainment purposes. This is not medical, health, or even life advice, so do not take anything we say seriously. Welcome to episode 15 of Pop to the Lou. How are you doing, babe? What's new? What's going on? I'm good. I'm super busy, which is a little bit intense. So my stomach was a little bit off last week. I was super stressed. I have a really bad cluster of migraines that I was quite ill with, which I sometimes have. That's nothing new, but they're really, really stress related. I need to take check and and listen to some of the advice I've given on previous podcasts about um, getting a bit balanced and focusing on on good stuff because otherwise, as we all know, just has such an impact, doesn't it, on our physical and psychological health. So, but month in, no booze enjoying it loads amazing so that's good well done so i'm really enjoying that so i'm gonna do another month and then i've got a stag do hen do two weddings <laughs> so we'll finally get some entertainment again <laughs> i will go back to being slightly entertaining yes <laughs> How about you, Seth? I'm good. I'm good. I've been having a bit of cramps lately, which I'm trying to narrow down where that is coming from. But other than that, I've been trying to introduce some new exciting foods back into my diet. We were interviewing somebody not too long ago, and I was editing this past week where she had recommended eating quinoa to get more protein into your diet. And I hadn't, I gave up quinoa quite a while ago because it did irritate me a bit. And that could quite possibly be why my stomach isn't too happy with me. So I won't have it this week and then see how things go. But whilst it could be upsetting my stomach, it actually tasted really good. And I was having it, I would cook it in like a vegetable broth and then have chicken and avocado and some kind of veg with it. And it was just so good. So I'm hoping maybe it's something else. I don't know though. My stress level for the past two years or so was insane, like absolutely insane. I don't actually know how I made it through, but I did. And my life is about to become far less stressful over the next six to 12 months. And I am so excited. Like I I can already feel like all of this weight lifting off my shoulders and it's incredible. Yeah, it'd be amazing because you're starting a new job. I am. And I'm really excited about it. It's in the tech industry still, but it's different to what I've done previously. It should be a new challenge. I love a challenge. I'm really looking forward to learning and growing in a new area. And this is why we kind of thought that this week's episode was quite pertinent because Sarah's starting a new role the week that this comes out. And we thought that we would sit down and talk to Sarah's old boss, which we did last month, which was awesome really lovely guy and so that we could kind of get an employer's perspective as well as an employee's perspective on when you are working when you have got a chronic illness and actually in relation to Ant, he went through Sarah's literally diagnosis and her having her ulcerative colitis whilst working for him so he saw everything basically and it was really really cool sitting down with him and asking him how he kind of approached it himself and also what he kind of put in place to make sure Sarah could still work and still stay in the country in which she wasn't from. So London at the time. And it was really, really cool to sit with Ant because he could give really good information to other bosses, employers out there on how to manage your really valuable staff that you want to keep working, keep part of your business, and also kind of ensure that that person who's going through a really, really tough time 
still has work, still has that kind of structure and routine to their day, which is really, really important for so many people. And yeah, it was awesome talking to him. So we thought it would be a really cool week to share this episode. We worked together for five and a half years, which is quite a long time. The point I was hired, I was healthy. And it wasn't until after I got my sponsorship that I ended up getting sick. And then I was diagnosed. I think my sponsorship came through in June and then I was diagnosed in September. So not very long after. And I spiraled as we all know, quite quickly. So he was an incredible boss. I definitely miss working with him. Should we do our gratitude for this week? Yeah, for sure, Sarah. So I'm definitely going to concentrate on my local community this week. So when I say local community, I mean my Crescent where I live and also my amazing work colleagues. So we've all done loads of collections this week for Ukraine and we've done it in like different ways as well in relation to where we've been dropping off stuff because we found that people who have been driving over to Ukraine can obviously only take certain things and then other people require other things as well. Um, if that makes sense. So yeah, we've done loads of drop-offs with like clothes, baby stuff, pet food, first aid things like dry snacks. I'm just trying to remember the list that I was like sending <laughs> out to everyone. Um, so yeah, we've done some really cool collections, but yeah, it's just been awesome seeing uh, our neighbors and my girls at work and guys at work uh, coming together, donating loads of stuff. Like people have, you know, gone and bought loads of stuff, but also cleared out loads of stuff from their own homes and, you know, sending it to people who are literally driving it to the Ukraine as we speak, which is wicked. Because I know it's really hard in these scenarios, isn't it, to know who to donate to, what to donate. Yeah, we've done some really cool um, drop-offs and stuff. And I know, just in case anyone's wondering, if they want to do any like donations and drop-offs at the moment, I think quite a lot of churches are doing them as well. Okay. So we would, we've dropped off quite a few bits and bobs to churches because they were asking for specific stuff again. So it's it's making sure that you're getting the, the stuff that people really need, isn't it? Really, really hope that everyone else can, can support others as well in this time of need. And just thinking of everyone out there who's from the Ukraine and prayers are with you and um, anything that any of us can do to help, then let's, let's get together and, and do it. There's a woman that I know from London back when I lived there, who's been doing incredible things as well, helping students get out of the Ukraine because they were having problems getting across the border into Poland and Romania. So she's been raising money, contacting lawyers, helping people get across those borders and get home. Massive shout out to her because she's a she owns a beauty company. So this is not her background whatsoever, but she's really stepped up, started raising funds, connecting people and helping those students that are trying to get home to their families. Also, a massive shout out to people in Australia that are still dealing and trying to recover from the flooding that's been ridiculous here. I know it's not really in the news internationally, but you can definitely Google and see the flooding that has taken place across Queensland and New South Wales. And a lot of people have lost everything. My heart goes out to them and a massive shout out to everyone that's helping with the cleanup and helping these families try to recover and also managing the rescues of people that have been stuck on rooftops and trying to get out of the flooded areas because it's been a hard couple of weeks. We got in Queensland, at least last week, we got two thirds of a year's worth of rain in 72 hours. It's been brutal. 
uh, we won't, it will be a while before everybody's recovered from this. It's really sad to watch and hard to see. Is there anything that anyone in Australia can do to practically help there? So in Queensland, they have a mud army, which is like volunteers that go around and help clean up because there's a lot of like just mud and debris and cleaning out all the furniture and everything because obviously from the water. Um, all your furniture and belongings will start to get moldy and you need to get them out of your home. So there's people volunteering with that. And then there's different organizations that are collecting like food, water, basic needs, like toiletries and stuff like that for people, clothing. I mean, just think if you lost literally everything in your home and some people had to escape at like 2, 3 a.m. and get out of their home. So you just kind of grab your family and get out. So there are organizations. We'll see if we can link some in the description if you do or if you are international and want to donate. Should we get into the episode? For sure. I've eaten too much cheese now. <laughs> let you go to bed. I need to go to bed and not sleep because I've eaten too much cheese. <laughs> just lie there in agony. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's check out Ant's episode. Cass knows a little bit, obviously, that we worked together in London for ages, and she is probably going to try to convince you to gang up against me to move back to London. <laughs> um, it's in her plan. When you messaged me the other week, I was like, actually, you having been there while I was diagnosed and going through that nightmare at the time, I thought it might be good, maybe a little bit about me, but also mainly about as an employee talking to your boss because obviously you're in a managerial role still now as well. Should we kick off with a bit of your background, what you're up to? We spoke a few times about that potential startup right snack on track, which is still my number one kind of plan A goal. One well, actually, plan A goal, right, is screenwriting Hollywood. But plan B is, is snack on track, a food truck marketplace app, awesome idea. Um, but plan C and a very, very close plan C and a solid plan C is what I'm doing right now, which is uh, working on misinformation, disinformation. So a fact matter, which I took over as CEO in April last year, basically we've literally just launched. So um, we've now got our industry first self-serve AI powered insights. So a lot of people in the industry are doing insights on social media and media monitoring, social media listening, that kind of stuff. Some people out there have AI-powered versions of that story, but they're all like old school, three-year contracts, long sales cycles, how much conversations in which they negotiate the best price for themselves, not for you. And then you've got a bunch of people out there doing it quite easily. So Brand24 and Mention.com, even Google Alerts, right? Some people are using that to, to work out what's being said online. Um, and those are self-serve, but there's zero insight, zero AI. So we're the only people that have both AI and self-serve uh, in a single platform. Uh, and that went live, yeah, like earlier this week. So we're just like sending out links right now, having conversations and the PR is about to kick in. Cass, her mind may be exploding a little bit. She does I, not I work in healthcare, Anne. <laughs> Uh-huh. Um, For which there are no misinformation problems. So really good, good yeah, job. Yeah. <laughs> We're still working on the basics, like how to use Instagram and Monday. I'm teaching her how to use Monday. We worked together, obviously, for quite a while. Five and a half years. Yeah, well, at least, yeah good. Because you were one of the early employees at Profinder, right? Um, so yeah. when I left government in 2014... Like I started in June 2014 with ProFinder. Uh, I think you joined September, October or something. Um, yeah. That, year. that was a long time. Uh, obviously, the kind of, I think we changed, the company changed, the product definitely changed, who we were selling to changed many times. So yeah, it was a classic startup journey, I think. I look back and I'm, I, I think it was the right time to leave because I'd stopped kind of learning and developing, but I also really appreciate and enjoy all the time I spent there. Did you have, did you have more sleepless nights when you had your baby and or during the startup? Oh, that's a good question. Um, in terms of whole number, 
I would say it's about equal right now. Um, I suspect the baby will overtake, but no, there was definitely some <laughs> sleepless nights. I mean, and which spiel I remember is kind of the classic startup story in the very, very early days, like our very first client, I won't mention any names, but there was basically a whole bunch of builders. And we were going, going live the next day, having promised our AI would process a whole bunch of you know CVs and, and get them up on, on the platform, for which it, it wasn't ready. Uh, so me and Spieler manually at three o'clock in the morning, reading a CV and just manually inputting the, oh, the machine learning, oh yeah, machine learning, really, you read the CV and it got all these insights. <laughs> but it was super helpful because in the next, the next day you walk into the office and you're like, ah, Gary, Ben, how are you doing? And they're like, how do you know me? I was like, oh, AI insights. <laughs> really, I've just been staring at your CV for two hours. So no, that was yeah, some sleepless nights in the startup. Some, And I think not just sleepless nights, but weird time zone splits, right? That was Sarah's challenge because even back then she was an international jet setter. She's like, I'm going to work from X country yeah. uh, today. And it's like, you, know, you realize that's like 12 hours outside of our time. But yeah, it's fine. <laughs> yes, pretty much. So get used to it. I mean, give it six months, Sarah will be in a different country. Yeah. Um, oh my well, hopefully, god hopefully Anne I wish well, I've got you on I've, <laughs> I've been in this country this is the longest I've ever been in one country in my entire life uh, I have anxiety a lot of it I'm struggling yeah it's, it's weird how it's weird. Sarah gets anxiety okay. from the opposite things that we get so Sarah gets anxiety <laughs> if she hasn't changed her life radically uh, in in the last like two months she hasn't um yeah. you know or if she's got too much of a plan of what she's doing that causes her anxiety she's much happier having zero clue <laughs> and zero stability seemingly yeah uh, i can only imagine um, that because that's that's how you've been for the last like six years so i imagine you must enjoy it right yeah a constant state of chaos no i just feel like life goes by i don't know too fast or too slow when you're doing the same routine and Cass is the opposite of me. She likes to schedule every little thing. And we'll talk about it on the podcast. She's like, I like to plan my day. I like to be organized. I like to plan every second of every minute. And I'm like, yeah, no, I can't do that. I don't know why. Although I grew up traveling a lot. So I think it was just ingrained in me. And the second I'm in one spot, I I struggle. So yeah, the fact that I've been in Australia this long. Do you remember the first time? I was telling you this story the other day when you told me I had to come out to Australia to manage the implementation. Um, and I was like, no, I'm not coming because of the spiders. You're like, no, it's mm-hmm. fine. <laughs> you can you can leave as soon as you see one. And I somehow haven't actually seen one in Australia yet. They jinx it. I can't deal with that phone call. Far away. <laughs> Should we talk a little bit about back in the day when I started to get sick? Because I think it's interesting to hear from different perspectives because Rachel, mm-hmm. she was obviously like, she came to the hospital with me a few times. And it's, from my perspective, I thought she knew what was going on. And then she listened to the podcast episode about my story. And she's like, I had no idea. Like, I had absolutely no idea you were that sick. So I think it'd be quite interesting to kind of hear from your perspective, being my manager, but being in such a small company, we obviously worked together a lot and just kind of what you thought was happening at the time or how it played out. Um, well, I, th- I think it's interesting because there's so many different things to go on because guess it was a small company, right? So, um, and we had big targets. We were effectively those early projects were what made the company, you know, their success of implementations that grew the foundation of that company. So it's super important uh, what we're doing. And I was very focused on that. But then you've got the fact that um, I think, I don't know if it was that in general, you're quite a private person or that you didn't want to show weakness, but uh, and and or that you um because you were quite driven, you're motivated, you worked really hard, you wanted to get the job done. And I think you were yourself dealing with how much do I share, how much do I want to let this stop me? How much do I want to let this kind of get me down and how much do I want to just get on with the job? And then probably balancing that against what risk do I have of getting fired 
if I can't do the job. Like there's so many different things at play feeding into how much you share and how much I, I had awareness. I probably don't know. Um, I do remember that I think it was Spieler who first started like, Are you do you know how how bad it is for Sarah? I was like, I don't know, just kind of she was on the call like half an hour ago. So it's yeah, I think I probably wasn't aware of how bad it was. Yeah, kind of at the position I was in dealing with my own stuff. So trying to work out my stresses were like, how do we make sure it's successful? Because if we don't, the company's probably not gonna survive. So it's yeah, uh a lot of different factors playing into how much awareness I had and how much I chose. Like if we were in a different company, a different situation, would I have almost certainly had the time to go, what else Sarah is? Maybe she just spent some time thinking about that. You know, uh, and almost certainly didn't spend as much time as I should have. To answer your, your question with a long answer, no, I probably wasn't aware at all of how bad it was for you. So interesting, because I feel like you were quite supportive through it all. I definitely, I am a private person and I struggled even with this podcast so much before we released it. I was like, no, nope, let's not do it. I don't want to do it anymore. But we were getting such good feedback before we even came out with it that I was like, okay, we have to do it just to help other people. But yeah, definitely really private. And then also I think it was me not understanding because it happened so quickly. I I joined in September of 2014 and then I was diagnosed what a year later so I had just gotten my sponsorship as well and then all of a sudden I was getting side effects and all the hospital appointments and I think when I went on chemo I told Spila and then she I think that's probably when she came to you I think I was just kind of dealing with the process of it happening and trying to figure out how to carry on without giving in because that's exactly it like Claire who worked with us was like go home get taken care of by your family and I didn't want to because I knew I would lose my sponsorship just having left the country for a long time. And then also kind of like giving in as if I was losing because things were coming together and whatnot. My life was panning out and then all of a sudden it falling apart. Yeah. I just didn't want it to win in that kind of way. That, that's the thing I remember probably most of that period was your attitude towards it, which was like, you were so angry with the with the kind of situation. Like, you know, I'm not going to let it stop me. And so I think there's, there's also a difference between being supportive and being aware. I wasn't aware. And if you're not really aware, how supportive can you be? Because me going, sure, like if you need to work flexibly. And I think that's that's maybe something that was good about how I acted. Although in hindsight, would I be better off saying, no, freaking go home. Like the company will somehow figure it out, right? But your health is more important. You should go home, you should rest like, and not let you work. Maybe that would have been more supportive than what I did, which is like, sure, if you want to work these hours because you're getting freaking chemo in these hours, sure, let's do that. Maybe that wasn't the most supportive thing I could have done. I don't know. Well, I would disagree though, Ant, because Sarah and I have discussed this at length. And I think because Sarah and I are both so exactly the same with regards to our work and how important it is for us as you know part of our identity part of our purpose our structure within our day um I think that us both working even when I'm well and in that flexible manner that you've kind of facilitated actually contributed to a recovery as such and by all means it doesn't it doesn't work for everyone um but I think sometimes it's knowing us well not sometimes all the time knowing yourself isn't it and what's important to you and what actually keeps you going and I think for both Sarah and I I think if we didn't have work and our careers that are so important to us that would have actually had more of a detrimental impact maybe on our psychological health not having that is that would would you agree with that Sarah because I I definitely think that's the impression I get when you've spoken about AMP before and that flexibility you've had and definitely with me you know work has been you know my kind of lifeline being able to work remotely obviously helped I would not have been able to go into an office I remember the one day I had been gone for quite a while and working remotely. And then I came in to meet with you. And do you remember that building we were in that had no elevator and we were on like the very top floor at bank? 
The one with the suit of armor at the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. So random. I could not walk up those stairs. I was so anemic. On the way to the office, I got off at St. Paul's station. And for whatever reason, the escalator was closed. I walked to the top, which isn't even that many flights of stairs. Like Enough that when I got to the top, I had to sit down and I sat there for like 10 minutes before I could like properly breathe again. And then by the time I got to the office, I think I made you come down because I was like, I I can't actually walk up those stairs. <laughs> but yeah, so coming into the office every day would have never worked, but having some kind of objective, something to complete every day and something to focus on, I think definitely helped rather than just sitting there being like, my life is over. I'm losing everything. So I think that definitely, definitely kept me focused. We were saying the other day, weren't we, that it's it was really awesome of Ant to do that because actually now, like we were saying like current COVID and post COVID or whatever bloody part of COVID we're in at the moment, who knows? Everyone's kind of getting used to that flexible working, those kind of different contracts of employment now. And, you know, people are working from home and it's kind of accepted because it was thrown at us and we had to do it. But actually when you were working from home, so it wasn't really a common thing. So for, for you to do that Ant, as a boss was awesome. It wasn't massively popular because I think, you know, uh, so Rog, bless him, is very much a people person. Uh, he likes people around. He likes he, and he likes to work with the energy of having people around. So it wasn't that massively popular that Sarah was was kind of working remotely. But from my perspective, um, I think especially, and it depends on the stage of your career, like if you're just entering the workplace, I think you get a massive amount of benefit from working around other people and you kind of learning by osmosis. Um, but Sarah knew most of the most the most people in the company about how the product works and what we're doing. So it was it was limited limited benefit from Sarah to spend time benefit from others. But Sarah didn't need to work in the office, right? She could achieve her outcomes remotely, and that's that's why I, I always look at it from an outcome perspective. I try to look at outcomes, not inputs or processes. Like, what do we need to actually get done? Can they do it remotely? If they can, what do I care? Um, yeah, so yeah, I've I've already had that always had that attitude. I think it's just fortunate that it kind of worked in in your favor and that kind of attitude melded and yes and now the whole world is, is kind of got up to speed but um it was it was, it was always fine um with me and um sarah and i were saying the other day we wonder i mean we obviously don't know the statistics i don't know if anyone would have the statistics but i wonder how many people who haven't been able to work before because they've had to have been in an office or a place of work i wonder how many people now are working who have got health conditions, physical or psychological, but because they can work from home, they're able to work for the first time or for the first time in a long time. And we were talking about that the other day, weren't we? I wonder how this kind of flexible working has impacted those that aren't able to get into an office. It would be nice to to know. I mean, I don't know how we'd get these stats, but I can imagine there's been a bit of a shift maybe. Yeah, I imagine the Office of National Statistics um, has some statistics on employment um, and probably has um, employment statistics for um, people registered disabled and things like that. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. I I agree. Do you have any tips for somebody that could be in the position of newly being diagnosed or getting a new job and they need to take time off? Because obviously with um, IBD, you can have stages of remission, which Cass and I are both in at the moment, but I can hit you at any time and you can go right back into being in a flare. So any tips on how to approach your manager about working remotely or having a bit of time off? Well, I, I was actually thinking about this, like whether if it had been a different employee, like, you know, you're saying like, I did a good job and I made the right decisions. I look back and I, if I ask myself a hard question, which is um, if, if another employee had asked me for that kind of flexibility. Um, an employee who didn't work as hard, wasn't as dedicated, wasn't as necessary to the mission, um, would I still have given him the amount of flexibility I gave you? I don't know uh, the answer to that question. Like, it, you know, there was an element of 
it's not just because that was my that's my policy, right? You, you know, you get flexible working if you want it. That was my policy for you because I felt like you deserved it um, and you worked hard and you're dedicated and things like that. So going back in time, I don't know if I would have done that. So I guess the, the answer to the question to regulate it, make that your policy. Um, don't, you know, uh, I we were a small company. We didn't have like policies or anything like that. You know, we were just doing yeah. it on the fly as we, as we felt like. But I think um, going forward, and I, and I definitely realise now, it doesn't matter what the what the situation is of the employee, if they need that to, to do their job, then you should give them it. Yeah. So I think that that's my policy now is give them the flexibility they need to, to get their bit of the job done. And if that causes you a little bit of problem because, you know, timings of standups or, or meetings in office, like take a hit on that um, for the, for the greater benefit of giving that person flexibility to, you know, most of the rest of their job. So that, that'd be my, my tip now is the cost uh, of that, little bit of noise around kind of getting people together at the right times and meetings is you know is minimal compared to the benefit of what the individual is going to gain from being able to do their job in in a time that suits them around their condition around their issues um so i think that would be my my prime tip the other one is make sure you spend the time to understand uh, and take the time to understand what's going on with the individual so if they're more a more private person maybe spend a bit more time getting below that armor so that you can actually understand what's going on. And I think that's, that's tough because obviously it's not just because you're the boss doesn't, you don't get the right to have every single detail and uh, given your you know conditions, probably didn't want every single detail. Um, Cass shares um, everything. <laughs> I don't share it. Cass is all over it though. But you're, it's, it's like something you said earlier around, it's so true. So you were saying working for a small company compared to a bigger one, obviously there's benefits of both, isn't there, as we know. But I uh, run a small company and I know, you know, we're so flexible with certain things, but we don't necessarily have the time to do absolutely everything we'd love to do for our staff because we don't have HR departments. We don't have a separate wellbeing service for our mm-hmm. staff. You know, anything like that, that potentially, bigger companies have those you know completely separate departments that deal with those certain things which are really really helpful we don't necessarily have sometimes and we know for small companies you're wearing six hats aren't you you're dealing with absolutely everything within your day uh, because you don't have the luxury and the means of those separate departments so it is really hard sometimes isn't it like you said you probably thought you weren't being as supportive or as aware but you were you were you're incredible but that's because you probably didn't have the time because you were firefighting and doing absolutely everything that a startup has to do or a small company yeah, I, I agree. And, and maybe, I don't know, um, this is more a question for you, Sarah, but if you could predict the condition and the and the worst days of that condition, would you have chosen to work for a startup with that stress and that time pressure? Or would you have worked for a company that has the, the greater kind of wellness support, health support and health insurance even, you know? Oh, that's a really hard question, to be honest. So I'm here to ask know. the hard questions. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. I see. I don't have any regrets though, but I guess if I had the choice between a startup and a corporate, or if, then I'd probably choose the corporate. If I had the choice of working for you and having the flexibility that I had or a corporate, I'd choose you because there's working remote. And then there's the type of freedom that I had to literally, like you said, be like, I'm going to go to New Zealand for two weeks and work from there. I'm going to go home for like a week last minute and work from there, any and every country. So and I know not every startup allows that kind of flexibility. So I have no regrets on that whatsoever. But yeah, with the bad days and just how bad it got, if I was with a corporate, I probably wouldn't stress so much about potentially losing my job because they have the money. I mean, obviously it costs money and is quite rare for a startup to sponsor somebody. Yeah. And I, I do remember you calling me at one point when we were quite low on money. We were going to have to let a couple people go. 
And you asked me, you're like, do you want to go home? Like I can, we can reevaluate like in a few months or so if we can bring you back or not, but we're going to have to let two people go. Do you want to stay or do you not? And I'm like sitting there getting my biotherapy infusion in the hospital. (laughs) And I'm like, no, I'm staying. I'm absolutely staying because I didn't realistically know if I'd actually be able to come back and if that would be something that would happen. So yeah. I do remember asking you that question. I'm so glad you stayed because- (laughs) We'd have been boned if, you had, if you'd gone. Like it was, um, yeah, it was really tough because, like, the, the challenge for the startup, right? You put so much pressure and reliabilities on individuals. And the, this big challenge of Profit was the complexity of the product um, required day in, day out working with it uh, to keep on top of exactly how it worked. And there was no way to replace your kind of corporate knowledge and experience on that. So I'm, I'm glad I offered that question. It feels like a good thing to do because I know the answer I would have wanted to hear was like, yeah, I'll stay. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> Um, so, but um, don't, yeah, you, I, don't you think as well that's another thing with either a startup or a small company I think where as an employer and as the employee that might be unwell I mean I'm never off sick just like Sarah I'm still even if I'm in bed I'm still working and barking orders with my hot water bottle you know but you you feel so guilty because you know if you're out of that situation for any reason to do with your health the impact on that startup and small company is massive I've worked for a national care provider before and where I know if I'm out, for example, it's going to impact the other area directors around the country, it it won't have as much of an impact as it would do within a small company if I was off. And I think that's the guilt as well. And probably as an employer, it hits you guys even more from a small company perspective. Totally, massively, like every single individual has a a crucial, you know, a crucial role. Uh, But then sometimes you put, you know, uh, you put even within that context, you put even more pressure on certain individuals to to be and, and Sarah was in one of those roles. Absolutely crucial. There was no there was no way to replace Sarah at certain points in, in the growth of the company when she was the only person who knew how to configure the instances for new for new clients. You know, we'd not spent as a time building all the tools and the kind of graphical user interface just to drag and drop things. Like it was all pretty manual, laborious stuff. And we'd had a whole bunch of technical debt. Like, why is this said to be configured like that? Oh, just because we haven't had time to change it, right? And if you don't know that, you try and use this, it doesn't even work. It doesn't get past go because of that small tweak that had nothing to do with the actual, you know, classic technical challenges. But Sarah had that had that knowledge. It was difficult, I think. And I definitely found this is kind of, as an aside, this is the pressure I faced. It was difficult to explain to other people who hadn't, because I, I, I was the person who did that to start with. Right. So I passed on that kind of knowledge to Sarah. And then obviously it grew massively complexity after that. So I had an inkling of how complex it was. And I was, I'm sort of technical enough that when Sarah explained to me the challenge of like, gee, that's super complicated. And I can understand how hard that is. But without having seen it and worked in it, it was hard to explain to other people in the company how complex that was and how much depended on that knowledge. I definitely felt pressure from other people in the business where it's like, yeah, but, you know, she's ill, you know, do you really can't just, you know, get someone else in, someone a bit cheaper and, you know, someone who could work like you know, in the office. And, uh, uh, and so, yeah, I definitely faced that pressure and I had to kind of defend that. That's not me going above and beyond. That's just the role of a, of a good manager, um, I think, to do that. So I think the the illness played into it because it was just another strength. We're kind of like, yeah, but do we? No, she's ill as well. Yeah. I was like, well, I've spoken about it and she wants to carry on. So that's my, that's all the direction I need. I honestly don't know how you did it at one point because you guys let me, you did let me go home after I was in the hospital for almost a month. And then you were like, take a month off and go home to Canada, chill out for a bit. But you paid me my salary still, which was life-changing because I don't know how I would have 
kept living in London whilst not working or being on sick leave or anything. So I, I actually have no idea how you convince the board, especially being a startup with no money to actually keep paying my salary whilst I was completely off work for a couple months. So you'd been with us for quite a while at that point, right? I mean, I think the, the other thing is like in a startup, once you once you do the time, like a year in like a year in startup terms, like a year back in in profiners, you know, was was yeah. four years worth of effort in an in a regular company. So I think if you do the time, um, there's an element of credit you can build up. And none of us really took serious holidays. So I think you know you're saying I actually need a holiday. After two, three years of that grind, I don't think that's as big a deal. So or I guess the other thing was we were dealing with big lumbering projects, right? It's kind of they took, you know, in some cases, three years to close a new client. Um, and towards the end, they got faster and faster. But in the early days, one month wasn't going to make a huge amount. I, mean, I don't know at the time there would have been opportunities, there would have been deals, there have been like, this is the next big thing, it's about to drop. You know, all that pressure would have been there. But taking it, taking a step back, like one month isn't going to make a massive difference to that particular company. It might have been a different story in a company where there is a deal every month, there's smaller contracts, and that would have meant, you know, two, three, four, five different contracts we couldn't have got going. Maybe that would have been a different situation, but just, you know, by virtue of the kind of company it was, um, it was that's, easier for me to but, but demonstrate and argue. That is really amazing. Sorry to interrupt because I'm obviously English and, you know, I work for English companies and there's, you know, within England, there's no obligation to pay your your staff when they're off sick at all. So the fact that you did that is incredible. Obviously, there's SSP that we have in England, which, you know, is, is minimal. And I don't know how people would, you know, do survive on that. And I know quite a lot of people we've spoken to who have reached out to us have spoken to to us about their kind of um the benefits that they get when they're off sick and you know they are they're minimal I, I genuinely don't know how people fund their life and pay their mortgages and rent etc when they are unwell so that is you know incredible that you did so um and yeah I know Sarah said it many a times but she can't thank you enough for that because I think that also was a turning point for you Sarah wasn't it that you could still stay in London even though you went home but actually you still having your salary paid was a massive turning point for you for your life to not be completely changed in relation to you having to go home because of financial concerns. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you're not working and you're paying rent and I was living in Notting Hill, my rent was not cheap. It was a bit painful, although my landlord was lovely as well. Where where else could you live? I mean, where else could you possibly (laughs) live? Exactly. And it's, it's interesting, Ant, as well, what you say, because like, I was just laughing to myself as you were saying it, when you said you guys hadn't taken any holidays or leave. And I can imagine Sarah gets the same um, misconceptions as I do. So I, I probably appear to be, not in the last two years, but I probably appear to be out of the country quite a lot. But I'm very similar to Sarah. I I, I will leave the country because I like traveling, but I will work from wherever I'm working. For example, I'm hopefully going to be with Sarah for three weeks during May, you know, this year, because they've opened the borders finally in Queensland. But I will be I will be working constantly. I'll just be 10 hours ahead. And I think sometimes people people kind of probably think, oh, these two are, are, haven't got any kind of perception of real life and they're just jetting across the world, you know, drinking margaritas for breakfast, but we always work. It's That's the difference, yeah. isn't it? And you're probably I, the same. When you take your breaks, they're not breaks. You're still on the phone and emailing and doing stuff, but probably having a bit of family time for an hour at some point, you know, and I think people uh, misinterpret that sometimes. Yeah, I think that's definitely changing in an attitude towards that. Like, you, I think you were you know, trend setting because now I know a lot of people would do that. I'm going to be doing that. I, I did some, we went on holiday to Italy uh, last summer and we were there for two weeks. I spent a total of four hours at the beach 
because uh, uh, just we were just busy. I'm going to do the same. We're going to Italy again in kind of March, April this year, and I'm really looking forward to it because we'll be near where Nat's mum is. So um, Nat's mum will be able to help out with Diana, in which case I can work more. Um, so it's uh, yeah, I think you would just think a lot of people are doing that now because because when you're working remotely, what does it really matter? I mean, there are some tax implications. Uh, you'd be aware of if you're working remotely from another country for a period of time, but apart from that, like. I think in the five and a half years we worked together, I only remember you taking one holiday that you actually took time off. And I don't think it was even your wedding. I think it was (laughs) (laughs) a guilt trip here. That sounds. This is a question your wife's put in for us to ask. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that that was, you know, yeah, there were some tough, um, tough times. Um, I wasn't really able to compartmentalize. Previously, I know people say, "Oh, I've come, I don't. I just when, I, when I'm done, I just turn off." I was never capable of doing. It. I was never capable of turning off because work for me, similar to you, I think, Sarah, just it's the reason for being sometimes, which is probably not healthy, but that's the way I am. And uh, it wasn't until I had Diana that I am now able to compartmentalize because, like, you know, I absolutely love uh, Natalia, but there's just a level above for for Diana that kind of um, because it's not just your. I choose to love Natalia. Um, but you don't. It's like you. Ch- you don't choose to love your baby. It's like absolutely hardwired in your DNA, like that level of above of love. So when I'm with Diana now, it's she's all I think about. Like I actually can compartmentalize. I actually can segregate my my work and my life now uh, because I've got a baby. So That's I wasn't amazing. able to do that back then, but now now I can. I That's love awesome. that. So now my I think my work life balance is probably even though I'm now the CEO of a, of a startup, right? I've got even more pressure and responsibility than I had previously. And uh, I think now actually my work-life balance is healthier than it was before because I'm actually able to turn off my brain at some points because when I'm with her, I, you know, it's just all about her. More from a kind of employer's perspective, how would you provide advice for another employer employing someone who's unwell? And I suppose giving advice to people out there who are listening, who are employees and are really nervous to be upfront and honest about their illness, isn't it? Because I know people are not upfront for a variety of reasons. It's really difficult, isn't it? Because as a manager, because I, I manage a massive team of staff myself and you can only work with what you know. And I then feel like I can't best support that individual as well. Because um, I'm quite, same as you, Ant, I'm a very kind of open-minded manager and, and I, I want the best out of my team so actually if they can't do certain things or can't work certain days or are better working remotely or whatever it might be I'll do my absolute best to implement that whilst meeting the needs of the business which again we know we can't do that perfectly all the time but we can try our best can't we and I think yeah I think what we really wanted to gauge from today which you've done amazingly is just from an employer's point of view you know how can they best support people that's not not too over the top but not too far away as well isn't it it's getting that balance basically yeah and I think you're right to start with that you've got to share that information um, and I think if you're afraid of sharing information because you think that that manager is going to work out a way of firing you then that's a good thing because you shouldn't be working there you know it's I think so and that might be a scary thing like it's easy to say oh you just go get another job right yeah just go get another job long term and I think this is the hardest advice to take long term you only working with someone who cares about you um, you're working for a, for a manager that cares about you and will work for a business that cares about you and if you don't have that then you should be looking for another job anyway so if you don't bother telling that manager tell tell the next one you know, so I think, yeah, share, sharing is important. And I think my gut is that unless you're working for a complete douchebag, most managers will respond more positively to knowing more, understanding more, and therefore being able to care more than if you don't explain the reasons why you don't turn up to meetings on time or work, you know, why you've got other issues. So um, I think definitely sharing is better than not, but that's it's difficult, right? Because it's personal. That's a challenge for people. So 
I agree with you 100%. Share, share more. Absolutely. And I think as well, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes as managers, you can, if you're not aware of the situation, you can assume the worst. For example, if people are always calling sick on a Monday, you assume that they've just had a heavy weekend, so they're always off sick. But actually, it might be something completely different. But if unless we, we know about it, we're going to make those assumptions because we weren't born yesterday, were we? <laughs> With regards to Monday morning sickness, but it, you know, if we're aware of a situation, we're we're, we're going to be a bit more open to adjusting work schedules and stuff to suit that person so that we can get the best out of that individual. I think you're right though about finding a company and a manager that you actually want to work for and focusing on that. So maybe it takes a while, but if you don't feel like you're valued within the company or that your illness is going to be a problem looking for something else, because I know it is easier said than done. And it's obviously easier to do in countries like the UK where you have free medical health care, where we have a lot of listeners in the States where you don't, and you have to get the benefits and everything. But I think long-term from a psychological point of view, it's really beneficial to be with a company that actually cares about you and values what you're bringing to the table. If you stay in a company that doesn't, that's not going to help your condition. Great. That added pressure, that added stress is, it's actually make it, going to make it worse. So it's, uh, yeah, for sure. The other thing is you never know what your manager knows, not necessarily knows about your condition, but you never know how your manager is going to react, you know, and I think it's that that first hurdle sometimes, isn't it? But I do think it's a confidence thing half the time, isn't it? Because there's a stigma because there still is, and this is one of the reasons we wanted to start the podcast, and about health in general, there still is, I think, which we absolutely hate and want to kind of break down as much as we can. And that's what I think impacts people's confidence in being transparent sometimes. Yeah, and I think the particular condition as well, right? Because um, it's like, oh, she's got stomach problems. Oh, oh, awesome. Yeah, that sounds really hard. Like it's, you know, it's hard to explain because of the, the emergent nature of that condition, right? There's not a lot of documentation. There's not a lot of awareness about it. It's hard to explain. It comes and goes. It's very kind of pesky to nail down exactly what the condition is and exactly kind of how it impacts you because it impacts you in different ways. And I personally know a little bit about that because of my lactose intolerance because sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes I can get away with a, a bit of milk here and sometimes I can't. Um, and it picks and choose, right? And I kind of, so I sort of had, even though lactose intolerance is not anywhere near as bad, right? I'm not taking chemo for my lactose intolerance. So it's not anywhere near as bad, but I had an inkling of, of the um, kind of transient nature sometimes of the issues when it comes to the stomach and digestion and things like that. So I think people with this particular condition are in a more difficult situation because explaining to other people exactly what the symptoms are and how it will impact you is like, you can't, right? Yeah. Very difficult. It's like, if you lost a leg, I was like, well, I used to have two legs. Now I have one. Like very obvious what the situation is there. Very obvious that you can have you know, issues dealing with that. But something internal and something transient, that's tough. So I think this particular condition people are in a more difficult position than than maybe otherwise. I remember being sick for quite a while, probably a year or so-ish. Everybody in the company knew I was like sick, I think. But I remember going to a sales meeting with Seb. I think I said how I had to go back to the doctor, just some kind of doctor's appointment, probably for an iron infusion. And he's like, what is wrong with you? And I was like, oh, I just have a lot of internal bleeding. And he was like, what? He's like, holy fuck. (laughs) He's like, I had absolutely no idea it was that bad. I'm like, yeah, (laughs) it's great. But yeah, you have no idea. And as you would have known at the time, like I didn't look that much different, like going on steroids, obviously, like I gained weight, my face swelled, stuff like that. But for the most part, I think I looked quite similar. Like I did lose a bit of hair at one point, but again, even that you, you didn't really see unless you looked closely that my massive amount of hair was thinning out a bit. But yeah, you can hide it quite well, which is good in some cases, in other cases works against you because people don't believe you. 
Well, they don't realize the extent of how well you are, Sarah, isn't it? That's what we've said before. Yeah. If you were bleeding on the outside, that would have been much easier. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'll work on that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on. I feel like we need a proper catch up though. Yeah, for sure. Well, when you move back to London, Sarah, we can all hang out. Yeah, no. Yeah, come back for the, come back for the weather. (laughs) Concentrate on the positives. Nice to meet you. Heard lots of lovely things about you. Thank you. If I can do my little bit to educate the managers out there, then happy to do my bit. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much, Anne. You're a star. No worries. Cheers, guys. Well, thank you so much for tuning in. We have a lot of exciting interviews coming up. Definitely subscribe so you don't miss an episode and follow us on Instagram at pop to the loop podcast for a bit more content on a daily basis and some behind the scenes images. Yeah. Everything will be linked in the description so you can find everything there. Love you guys. Love you.